Welcome to Beyond the Big Sky, Episode 2. I'm Chad Shear. And I'm Wyatt Shear. And we're going to be talking about Western big game hunting, planning, preparing, and everything you need to know to get ready for your hunt this fall. So let's talk about some tips. We know a lot of the results came out for hunting out west, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. What's some things, let's just start out, what would be in your backpack when you go to those states to hunt? Okay, first off, talking about backpacks, you want to have a good, comfortable backpack. That's that's so important. Uh, this last uh, couple weeks ago, we went over to Hawaii and we're hunting over there. I had a NUMA day pack, which is great. So you need to decide if you're going to go in and you're out of a base camp and you're going in for a uh, just on daily hunts, or if you're going to go way back in, you're going to need a bigger backpack, like something that may have 4,500 uh, cubic inches in it where you can put your tent, your sleeping bag. And so that is a big thing. But first off, one of the most important things I always take with me is a good GPS with extra batteries. And I like having it set up uh, with like how Onyx is, I use that a lot where it has all the boundaries on it. Especially like in Colorado, hunting on the public land. I mean, yep. that is a big deal when you're hunting next to private. It, it is a very big deal. Those animals move in and out of there. Um, and I love it where you can have a messaging system. And so if something happens to you, because if you're hunting alone, it's very important to be able to communicate and having that satellite uh, with you on your GPS to communicate, that, that's going to be one of the first things I put in there. So let's talk about if you are hunting out of a lodge, <clears throat> you're going to have a smaller backpack. Like you said, those Numas. I had the same one in Hawaii, and it didn't have – it's not a pack frame-like style, but it had that wire in it, mm-hmm. and that is really nice. We put a lot of weight in it. It didn't, it didn't crunch on your back. It was. It's comfortable. You want something with breathability. So often on a backpack, you're carrying a lot of weight. You're, you're hunting, and it can be warmer, especially early season. So you want something that is on the back that, that's breathable, lets that air circulate through there. Good, comfortable uh, straps. One of the things, Wyatt, I've watched you do over the years is you always have a good hydration system. You know, you always have to have a camelback or something because there's nothing worse than when you're hunting in the mountains. And you, it's a pain to pack all the bottles of water and a filtration system. What kind of filtration system? I mean, it's easier to filtrate water if you know there's a creek up there than hauling it all. And, and that's so true. And that's part of your big game scouting going in early. Uh, we've got a good friend of ours that does a lot of stuff where he'll go into an area and he went in there and didn't find any water. So he had to spend his summertime packing water in there. The animals were coming through as transition areas. So make sure you have a good way to hydrate. That's very important. And the other thing is if you're hunting out west, you got to watch for Giardia. I have personally had that when I was younger. And I will tell you, it hospitalized me. It was no fun so make sure that you you uh take precautions with that so uh, what filters are you using are you using the lights the filters the pills what are you doing you know i've tried a little bit of everything um one of my things i like to do is take one of the uh, little uh Tysons. it's a jet boil type system where i can boil the water i know that's the safest Kills um, everything. yeah it, it does um and i i'm 100 sure i'm a little little uh, nervous about that charity it was i was sick for over a month so uh, uh that's something that's very important make sure you've got your water and hydration system figured out and let's talk about food like if you're going back in the 
way back in the on horses or something you want something heavy what are you taking back when you're doing that you know if we're going way back in there i'm going to plan it depends if i'm i'm going in for two or three days or if i'm going in for a week um we've got a new sponsor on our tv show that's been pretty cool or the real eats which they're vacuum sealed they're fresh and then you can freeze them if you're taking a, a cooler in, that's always great. We throw a mammoth cooler and fill that up going back in. If you're going in with panniers or, or how you're packing, that works out great. Or if you're in a base camp going out, of course, your freeze-dried uh, or your dehydrated food. That's just really add water. Good. You just add water. And uh, so those are some good options. It just depends on what you're doing. But for a lot of those things that I tell people is you don't always want to commit. If, if it's an area you haven't hunted before, don't take stuff for six or seven days because what if you get in there and the animals aren't there? I like to go in and go in for one or two and have enough stuff where, okay, and come back out and go back in and uh, stay a little longer if I want. So we talked about backpack. <clears throat> I mean, next thing that comes to mind is good shoes. Yes. There's nothing worse than going on a hunt and having new shoes or shoes that hurt your feet. You know, having outfitted elk hunters for 30 years, that's the one thing I always would say is make sure you have good boots. We use Kenetrex. I know you've used those most of your life. And they're they're out of Montana here. They're lightweight. They're comfortable. They, they've got several different brands, or I'm sorry, several different models. That Corey 2 is a lightweight for bow season. And then you go up from there. Some of you folks work in an office. You're not out in the mountains. For us, everyday life, we can wear our Kenetrex. I, I tell people, even if you sit at a desk all day, put those on, wear them around, keep them on your feet, and, and then take them out on the weekends or evenings, walk with them. And even make, oil them, too. Make, yes, make sure they bro they're broken. They, they've got some really good uh, products, Kenetrex does, to, to treat them and uh, – that that's very important and uh, i think something else too why that we always talk about with our backpacks not jumping back and forth with that is but to to dress in the layer system mm -hmm. and make sure in your pack you have enough layers raincoats yep i mean i, I know when we all go i mean we have it all have raincoats then we've got an extra pair of pants if they get wet or something there's nothing worse than getting like soaking oh. wet and then having to sit out there and speaking of that having a good fire starter it's so important out there because you got to dry off if you get caught in one of these storms in the rocky mountains it is it is crazy you need to get get dry because if you're you're going to get hypothermia out there and that is a horrible horrible thing and something i know a lot of people don't think of is like a gun little gun cleaning kit if you take a muzzleloader yeah yep I mean, you can't just, if you have to push a load out or if it gets wet or something, or what's your trick whenever it's raining out? <laughs> my trick is I always take surgical gloves when I uh, clean them, field dressing my animals. And so I will take and cut one of the fingers off. Make sure the glove isn't on your hand when you do that. <laughs> but I'll take that uh, surgical glove and uh, one of the fingers, I'll put it right over the barrel and that that keeps my powder dry. In which case is, water gets down it. In, in case water, it's, it's very, very important. Uh, with that and then i was thinking about some of the other stuff in the in the pack that that we always do is we we like we said we have the fire starter but then we have a good knife because having a good knife for field dressing your animals but also 
for lighting fires because you can get that wood you can peel it back that's a trick i learned up in the yukon years ago hunting with terry wilkinson that guy knew how to light fires and what he would do is he'd take about a two inch stick and he'd just whittle it down shave it, off. Shave it down and make little almost like duck butts like several of them and then you get a fire going quick. I know I that. see a lot of people that even take like a little file or a rasp and they'll take it and shave it and you almost get like little wood chips. You know, that's a great idea. Why that that's super here's another little secret is um dryer lint. If <laughs> wash and clothes take that dryer lint, that stuff will light real quick and you can put put that in a little ziploc bag in your pack and that that's good and, or fire oh. starter. If you don't have a fire starter, too, a lot of people take their matches and have a little candle and dip them in wax, and so then you waterproof them. Yep. So, I mean, your matches get wet. They still light. Yep. It's kind of a little trick. That's a great trick. My my dad used to do that when I was growing up, and that that's something very important. There's so many things you can do with your backpack, but the biggest thing is don't overpack it, but make sure you have enough survival gear, have, have some Band-Aids, some first aid stuff, and in case something happens because – stuff can happen out there and, and then I'm, be ready to pack those elk out and i know you do this a lot too is have ibuprofen advil i mean you never know like when you were on your elk hunt and broke <laughs> your leg you want to have something just to knock the pain out to get to the doctor if something does happen that is true so you brought that up that was arizona i drew a premier elk tag one of those tags that'll take about 14 years to draw had a big bull scouted was down there got on this mule and i've ridden a lot of mules i guided off them for years i love mules this is why we don't ride mules anymore i should say i used to love mules no we don't love mules anymore <laughs> we ride horses <laughs> what kind of quarter horses do we ride yeah we ride linnell ashley's quarter horses <laughs> and they don't try to kill us and break our legs <laughs> so anyway we're at trailhead it's about 3 30 in the morning i am so excited and we're getting ready to take off I throw my leg over this mule, and this mule blows up. I mean, he's bucking. I get my reins into my knee, and I'm getting him in circles. I just about got him, and he blows up again, and my guide starts yelling, jump, jump. And I always learned you don't jump off a mule or a horse if you have it under control. Well, I don't know why. He said it. I went to dismount. When I did, he bucked into me and he threw me up in the air i came down and when my boot hit the ground i heard a snap i snapped my fibia completely in half i bet that didn't feel good no i dislocated my ankle and i'm laying there and the guy's like you okay i'm like i am not i've never really broken a bone severely but i knew i had i said why were you telling me to jump he said well there was a forest service trailhead map and they had a metal roof on it and he said you were going right towards it you couldn't see it but i could he said i thought it was going to cut your head off if that mule took you under there so i guess a broken bone is better than uh, getting your head cut off and uh moral of the story is don't ride a mule don't ride a mule well that brings up another good point why you talked about packing in there if some of you folks are going on a hunt and you're going with an outfitter that uses horses, and I'll tell you, I love horses. I love going back in the back country. You're getting way away from the roads and, and you can get into some majestic country. I know why sometimes you'll jump in and you'll go 15 miles or, or more. But if you're going on a back country hunt like that, make sure 
that say you live in Pennsylvania, say you live in New York or, or California, wherever you might live and, and you're playing on that, find a stable that has riding lessons. You don't necessarily need the riding lessons, but you need to get in shape. Is that and not true? How many hours do you spend on a horse? Wyatt? A lot. I just got done riding one. And I think a lot of people, when they go on an outfitter, they're trying to adjust their stirrups at yep. their horseback. One of the most painful thing is not having your stirrups set. Well, and tell a, me about that. How do you and adjust And the trick them? is, okay, um, the rule of thumb for just getting set close to right, if you put your finger up where the stirrup connects to the saddle, it should come to your armpit. If it comes there, that's the same length your stirrup should be. So that is a pretty close. It'll get with you within an inch. Then once you get on, if you ride for a little bit and your knees start hurting, you realize, okay, my stirrups are a little too short, drop them down. If your hips start hurting or the inside of your thighs, then they're too long and you can't feel them. So you should be able just to stand up and get off that saddle enough. How much room should they have if they stand up in that You should stirrup? be able to fit like four fingers under. Four fingers. And yeah. the other thing you brought this up, that, and I was thankful I did this on that, that meal, is make sure you – have a bigger stirrup exactly um because you're in hunting boots you're not in cowboy boots typically and if your foot gets hung up in that stirrup that's a whole nother problem and i've seen some people i'll take too they don't they put their foot in too far i mean all you need is the ball of your foot on that stirrup and if you've got it jammed all the way in there to your almost to your heel then if something goes wrong you're stuck yeah it's and lot, that's no it's a lot better to come off and break your leg than get drugged and banged off trees yep and now for somebody going on a on a first time elk hunt in the back country and they're on horses, outfitter's gonna do his best, guide's gonna do their best, but they're not the one on that horse. What else yeah. should what is some body language or as far as the cinch, what should be that they be looking for or feeling? I mean a lot of people don't realize if you are nervous, the horse is feeling it. Yeah. They're some of the smartest creatures. And if you're tense, they're gonna be tense. Like, I know, like when I go to rodeo, I could take my horse, move cows, and he's the most relaxed. As soon as he hears music and I get tensed up, he's a different horse. Yeah. So, I mean, your body language can put off a lot of pressure to them. So, like, even if you're nervous, if you're just relaxed, breathe, take it easy, they're just going to do their job and take care of you. Absolutely. Any other the pointers when they're sitting there, what if they start to – lean one way or that saddle starts to creep you know i've seen that a lot taking some friends up in the mountains especially something to do is make sure like when you put your backpack on some people don't tighten the straps down on each side the same so then they'll get to leaning and they're used to it but if you're leaning on top of a horse over time you keep leaning if you just constantly make sure your saddle horn is straight yeah oh it makes so much life so much easier what about overhanging branches yeah, that's, I mean, a trick if you want to knock someone off, just hold it, keep walking. When they get behind you, let it go and have a little fun. But, I mean, the best thing is to try to avoid them. I mean, a lot of places they have all the trails clean. But I know you have some stores with pine cones, too. Oh, well, yeah, we're not, we'll save that for another podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll just share that. Back in our day when I was guiding down at Lakeview Guest Ranch, the guides would go out and they'd be scouting and, you get a bunch of guides out there having fun in that. One of the tricks they do is ride up behind the other uh, guide, grab the horse's tail, and put a pine cone they, there. And the horse would automatically suck down on that, and they'd poke him. And uh, you'd have a little bucking going on. And I know a lot of times flat- – <laughs> Guides aren't going to do that to clients' horses. <laughs> That's so. just to mess with their buddies. <laughs> and another thing that I think is a big deal is flashlights. Yes, Absolutely. So many people think, well, that's too expensive by a flashlight. 
a little story. Walker and I took some clients in, backcountry on horses. We dropped them off, and we were in a hurry, and Walker had his flashlight, but we're like, you know, we don't, we'll just wait. Just to, We never want to use the whole battery when we're not out just in case something did happen. Yep. And we were like an hour and a half from the truck, and all we had was our iPhone batteries, our iPhone flashlights, and... I really did not enjoy just sitting there <laughs> hoping my horse knew his way back to the trailer. It was yep. very, very freaky. Yep. I, and I will tell you, that's the one thing, hunting horseback. I love um, – that's a great point. There's been times I've been on horses coming out of the mountains in the dark, and I couldn't see anything, and the, the lights were would spook the horse or mule, and I'd just have to put the reins lightly and just – let him go because they're scared of shadows i mean you yep. put a flashlight in the tree branch moves and the shadow shakes i mean they're not used to that they're not so so get ready for that hunt go to a, a local uh, equestrian center or somebody and tell them what you want to do and just at least get comfortable with it because some of these guys down in wyoming and these wilderness hunts they'll go in 15 20 25 miles and if you've not done that you're going to be sore and especially getting off and on I mean, we've seen that when we go horseback. Some of the people, it's, you just get them on and you just want to go because you know how miserable it is trying to get the people off and on. I mean, that's something, even if you just go for a couple of days, just to learn how to properly get off and on your horse. So if you need to stop and go to the bathroom, it doesn't take 30 minutes to try to hoist, <laughs> get all the guides to throw you on. Yep. And the other thing, remember this, it's okay if you have room there, turn your horse so you're on the uphill side of course you're gonna get on the left side but don't ever try to get on that horse on the downhill side up in the mountains that that makes a makes a huge difference so as you prepare we're, we're talking about western big game hunts and getting ready what you put in your pack and and preparing i think one other thing that's important right now with the the price of gas and the price of travel is start thinking about traveling you know i've flown over a million miles on delta and and i get a few benefits on that where i get a 70 pound bag instead of 50 pounds and reminds me of a trip we had in new mexico and brought your whole elk back in the rack and tried to fit that in a rental car that's that's something interesting but when you plan these trips plan your travel accordingly and if you're coming from the east coast or west coast you may want to consider driving because yeah. you're you're fortunate enough. You got to get that meat back. You got to meat get that antlers. rack back. And a little trick you could tell them too is like when if you can fly with your rack, how do you protect the tips from not breaking? Absolutely, is take a rubber hose, Just cut it in pieces, hose. a garden hose, put it over the ends of those racks, and then tape them up with duct tape, and that protects them. The other thing that will help you too, and cost on shipping. Now, if you shoot a nice bull. And you're wanting to put in Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett, you can't split that skull. But if you're just want, you say, oh, I'm not going to put it in the books. I just want to have it mounted. You can cut that skull in a Z shape or, or a Y type shape or, or so forth. Actually, a V on the side so that the taxidermist can put it back together really good. And then you put them flat together and it's a lot easier to travel with them, especially on a mule deer or whitetail um, if you're traveling over um, in places like that. The other thing is look at look at rental cars, uh, look at different things, talk to your outfitter. Are they going to pick you up? Or if you're doing it on your own, uh, think of those things. A lot of folks I've watched over the years, they'll take a chest freezer and put it in the back of their truck mm -hmm. that can be locked. And so when they stop for the night at a hotel, they plug it in or they'll take a generator and turn it on. And that, that keeps that meat frozen all the way back. So you're planning on 
preparing for these trips and we talked about you get to travel make sure you have your licenses everything in order prior to that but it's time to get ready for it now being in physical shape is one thing that that you want to you want to do now i know i'm a little bigger guy but i still have to get ready i'll ride a bike i'll, I'll do different things to get ready i tell people if you live in an urban area find a uh, gymnasium or find a football stadium that has bleachers and start walking steps that's about all you'll do in the mountains though kind of it's or if you go to a gym do the step step <laughs> machine up and down and that, and that is painful it is. I know at Planet Fitness, when Keely and I go, that is the most miserable thing is to go straight up the steps. It, it is, but that's that's what's going to get those muscles ready for you, get some, get some cardiovascular built up. Now, one of the things I was talking to Marcia before this podcast, and we were talking about stuff we'd shared in seminars. We do seminars at the uh, Great American Outdoor Sports Show in Harrisburg every year with NRA, and we love doing it. And one of the uh, seminars we do is uh, planning guided and unguided Western hunts, getting the best out of that. And one thing that I do recommend, if you're coming from a low elevation, say you're coming from sea level or even three to 500 feet, and you're heading out to Montana or even Colorado, where you may be at 10, 11,000 feet, you got to watch for elevation sickness. That'll hurt somebody too. It will. So I tell people, allow some extra time. Get in there a couple days early. Let your body acclimate to it. And uh, over the years, I've guided people that have gotten elevation sickness, and it just ruined the hunt for them. Um, One thing, uh, talking to several doctors you want to be aware of is – Stay away from alcohol and smoking, which that's not good when you're hunting anyway, but that will increase the effects of altitude sickness out there. And uh, you talk about being sick and major headaches and just not wanting to do anything. It's no fun. And I think, too, like people going back country, so many people don't stay hydrated. Yep. I mean, you've taken people that have had heat strokes and stuff. That's It's a pain to carry more water, but, I mean, always pack more than you need. I will tell you, I had one guy specifically, a good friend of mine, that he started just, he wasn't himself, and I rushed him to the hospital. I thought he was having a stroke or a heart attack. It scared me, and I will tell you, hydration is super important. And watch drinking too much caffeine out there, Exactly. And what flashlight would you recommend? I mean, what's LEDs? I know save battery. Yep. I want something that has a couple different stages on it. I want I, I've used a lot of the stream lights. I want something that I can have different batteries. I use that uh, a lot of them that have the 123 um, A style battery. Um, but also, it's nice to have something with a, a AAA or a AA, so you can find them if you're in a remote area out west. Um, but the Streamlight ones have been real good. I like the variable power, so I can go with a light power or if I don't need it. Or if I'm tracking something and I need more power, I, I do that. So um, have, that's that's very good question. And let's talk about what would you prepare for as far as, like, shot uh, yardage. I mean, when that, people are from out east and their farthest shot might be 65 yards, you come out – I mean, you come to Montana, you can shoot as far as you can see. That, that's exactly right. And, you know, we have the Bergara Academy up here at our place in Montana, and I'm fortunate to manage that. We teach people how to shoot out to 1,400 yards. But 
we don't teach them to shoot animals that far. Out of respect to big game, I don't like over 500 yards. Now, can I do it? Can I shoot steel all day long? Yes. But I will tell you, learning to read wind is something that is a skill that takes a lot of time. And learning to shoot long distances, one of our instructors, uh, Bart Bartholomew, he always says, shooting is a perishable skill. And that's mm-hmm. so true. And you have to practice it. And so I tell people, get the best gun you can, get the best optics you can, and then practice. And you want to be able to shoot. You want to make a three to 400-yard shot, especially out west. 500 is great. But some people will overcomplicate it. They'll get the, get the scopes, and they have all the bells and whistles on it, but they don't know how to use them. So you want to learn that gun. We always say know the dope on your gun, and that's data on previous engagements. And so keep a record of that. Now, choosing the caliber, Wyatt, I know we've talked about this a lot. What's your favorite caliber for elk? I mean, for elk, it's hard to beat a 300 Win Mag. 300 Win Mag, 300 PRC. I, everyone seems to ask, can you do it with a 6.5 Creedmoor? You can. I mean, walkers kill big elk with them. We've all shot elk with them. But my whole theory is if you can have a 300, why wouldn't you take it? That's exactly right. And this is what I tell people is – can you do it with you do it with a 243 we did we've done that before when you guys were younger it's all about bullet placement it's about having a good bullet mm-hmm. so one thing i love about arms core is they use premium components and like we use the nosler acubon bullets in there have had tremendous success with that 180 grain bullet but a 300 wind mag versus a 6.5 it's more forgiving if you miss your ju- misjudge your wind by five to 10 miles an hour and you get a little more drift or that bull takes a step with the 300 you're probably going to recover it with a six five you've got a lighter bullet you don't have the knockdown power um that's not something you want to take that chance on so i mean wh- i saw you shot that one bull it was 400 yards and you put i mean it went through both shoulder blades and just powered through it yep that's something a six five will not handle no it's 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 very important to have it and we could say what's the best elk cap caliber and if we opened it up i would have a hundred different i've done that in my seminars before i'll have several hundred people in there and say okay how many shoot a 30 odd six how many shoot a seven mag for elk how many shoot 300 and you know what it is so divided and so what i tell people get a gun that you know that shoots well with the most most expensive optic or the the best optic you can afford on there and you don't have to break the bank on that we use good quality optics we i've taken lots of elk with conus optics which is our price point optic you want something that that is going to get the job done but also gives you clarity at last light and i think that's that's very important so on those calibers wyatt you're definitely a hundred percent right and uh i just I love going after them with anything. I mean, they're coming out doing mule deer, whitetail, antelope. 6.5 is an incredible cartridge. Incredible. Yep. That, it's it's great. And uh, we've taken that. We, we uh, hunted with the 6.5 PRC, and uh, we started shooting that some, and I really am impressed with that. And uh, growing up, a 270. That was my caliber of choice. And well, I, 25 odd six. A lot of people don't shoot that. <laughs> 25 odd six is great. And just so many great calibers. But the thing that I really love is how 
hard the bullet companies have worked to come out with really good bullets the powder companies like Hodgson and imr to give you consistent powders where your deviation are in the single digits and that that makes such a such an important part of getting ready for your western big game hunt let's talk about muzzleloaders i mean what muzzleloader are you taking i mean how far are you shooting it what loads are you doing that's something a lot of people don't know. They're not used to. They're used to shooting their 50 cal out to 100 yards at the most. That's exactly right. And I would just tell you, we could do a whole podcast on muzzleloaders, and we'll probably do that because I love hunting with a muzzleloader. Um, I've went to Africa and hunted Cape Buffalo with them, um, all the way down to to hunting small game with them. I just I love it. The challenge of the one shot. So if I'm going out West, there's a couple big factors here. First off, I see what's legal in the States I'm going to hunt. Exactly. I'm going to find out if it's open sites like Colorado, you have to have loose powder, open sites. Um, some places it, it requires certain types of bullets. Uh, the power belt bullets are, are legal in Colorado. Um, and, but some places do not allow sabotage bullets at all. So you got to figure that out and then figure out what caliber is legal, 40 caliber, a 45, a 50. And am I going to use it in a muzzleloader only season or am I going to use it in a rifle? Like Montana where we hunt, they don't have a muzzleloader season. Well, they, they haven't had one for the inlines. And then this year they've opened it up for a more traditional primitive one. And when Wyatt's talking about that, because we love using the inlines. The traditional one, that's a whole different set of, set of things. So that's right not now, for me. Not for you. So I'll right, stick with the Paramount. There you go. So let's talk about, say, uh, like this year, I have a New Mexico hunt. And uh, I'm going to use a CBA Paramount Pro. I'm going to use Blackhorn 209 Primer. Um, and I'm going to do... My, I'm going to build my data up on that. And I will tell you, I'm very comfortable at 300 yards. I've taken antelope at 312 yards with, with that gun. And, and the knockdown power. With that oh. Thing. I mean, the big bullet, and it puts a – I mean, it punches a hole through them. It does. I mean, we we had one guy with us, Keith Wood, outdoor writer, buddy of mine, was with me in Wyoming. He shot an antelope 400-plus yards, like 412, I think, and I watched that bullet go completely through them. So very, very good. That has a Vera flame, so it's very consistent. Um, and and that's a great ignition system I love. So that CVA Paramount Pro or the Paramount HTR, um, I love that because that HDR has an adjustable cheek piece, so you get a good weld right there when you're, when you're aiming. So uh, the biggest thing, though, is shoot those guns at those distances prior to, to it make sure you know what's and what's i going think on. not just shooting on a bench i mean that's something when we were kids you really enforce okay let's try shooting laying down kneeling sitting standing off shooting sticks there's so many ways absolutely what is the one thing i'm putting you on the spot here that i always made sure that we set you up on when you were getting ready to shoot you always made sure we had our elbow put somewhere yep and we always had a three-point position where you could always push down on something exactly had a rest even if it was me holding their elbow and securing it so that they weren't moving all over and that that's very important and it's it's something if i can get in a prone position i'm all about that we'll talk about different positions on other podcasts as ankles down and, and different things but it's very important that that you don't have scope shadow and yep. and it's very 
very important when you're hunting with a muzzleloader and hunting with a rifle, you have a, a good solid rest. Exactly. And even shooting a bow, so many people only shoot their bows standing up. <laughs> I mean, I know when I practice, I get in the habit, you just get excited and just go do some reps standing up. But so many times you can't just stand up next to a tree. You have to kneel down behind a bush or sit on your butt. And it is way harder to do that than just standing there. You are so correct on that. In fact, this year, actually this bull right behind us, we were hunting. It was open country. We're crouched down in this little dip and behind the pack. And I'll tell you, the first thing that I was very thankful for, I always maxed my bow out. I always would shoot 70 to 75 pounds, and that's just, I like the speed on it. This year, I had a bow, uh, Expedition Archery. I had one of their bows. It was amazing, but I shot it at 65 pounds, and it was performing amazing. But I drew the bow back. Kind of sideways. Sideways, and then had to sit up. To get the shot i couldn't be in perfect form and that's something that's so true is practice and and that brings up another point i thought of is when you guys were younger especially we'd lay the bow down we would run 30 40 yards come back pick the bow up and then try to get your breathing in order try to get it under control because that's a big thing you have adrenaline coming when those animals are coming in and plus, if you're at higher elevation, you're breathing a little heavier. So practice those ways and build that muscle memory up. I mean, I know when we were kids, Walker and I, we'd run all the way around the house a full lap, and then we'd shoot our bows just to see who could be the best. I mean, it was a little competition, but it really taught you to calm down, pace yourself, and just breathe. It, it's totally true. And the other thing that's, that's fun to do out there, a game we play, is you have that where – you have the person sit there and you start at the target and you walk left, right, different directions. And then one guy says, shoot. And you have to turn around and shoot without knowing what your yardage is. Mm -hmm. And what happens is rangefinders are great, but sometimes those bulls come in or those deer are in your lap quick and you got to learn to make a quick judgment on it where you may not have time to pull that rangefinder up and that'll that'll help you a lot and i know something too that i try is okay i know my bow shoots at 30 and if okay if i'm at 42 yards what's if i put my 40 yard pin it how much does it drop from 40 to 50 right because i'm not going to shoot an elk that if it's if i know for sure it's under 40 yards if you put your 30 yard pin on it, you're going to kill it right but yep. if it's over that then you're probably going to need to spend the time and range it just to have an exact. Exactly right. And I can tell you if I've got a bowl at 30 yards or under. No question. I know exactly. I can take my 20-yard pin, and I know, okay, I just need to put two inches up. So I, I practice those those scenarios when, when I'm out there because real practice makes a big difference. You know, I know something people don't really do that they – it's messed them up a lot is checking their rifle, make sure it's zeroed once they get here. I mean, elevation takes a toll on different velocities and how your gun performs. It, it totally does. And, and I learned that years ago coming from 4,500 feet and then flying down and doing a hunt at 10,000 feet. And all of a sudden I was hitting my target higher and it didn't have anything to do with getting bumped. It's just your velocities and, and it has to do with elevation and, and, very very important with bullet drag 
And uh, so keep that in mind. No matter if you drive or fly, check that gun. Be adamant about it when you get into a new area. I mean, a lot of times, too, like when you go to Hawaii, even sometimes, 90% of the times, it's dead on or at the lower elevation. It's a little low or something. Yep, but. yep that's so true. I, I could tell you stories of going on hunts where people get in late. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. And then they have that one opportunity on an animal, and they miss it by three feet. Oh, I should have shot that gun. I would rather miss the first morning of hunting. Everything ready. And make sure my gun's ready to go. And then, like, when you're coming with a muzzleloader, what is going to be in your cleaning pouch when you go backcountry? Backcountry cleaning pouch, I'm going to keep it really, really easy. I'm going to make sure I have a cleaning jag that will fit on my ramrod so I don't have to take another, like, a range rod with me. I'm going to have some patches with me. I'm going to have a little bit of cleaning solvent with me. The other thing I always do is I have a little bit of breech plug grease for putting that in there, and I'll have a tool to get that breech plug out. Or if I'm using like a, a CVA MRX or LRX in the Acura series or even the Optimore Wolf, I can take it out with hands-free. Uh, the other thing is it's good to have a little pick with you to make sure there's no obstruction in that uh, firing hole, they called, or the, the breech plug uh, hole. It's very, very important to to have that and you can take a little ballastol they've got some wipes that you can wipe it down especially if you're in uh, areas where you're getting a lot of moisture the cvas have cerakoted barrels um, they're nitrate on the inside but it's still good wipe wipe everything down and and keep those guns clean and then one other thing i'll put in there is i'll take some lens cleaner it's you want to do it quake has some great scope covers uh, that i use but you also want to have something if you get a snow can hit like this or rain you want to keep that optic clean and i think too is some of the places like out here in montana when it's 20 below out and you keep your gun in the truck and then it's you're driving around then you go on a stalk some people don't look i mean that fog will kill somebody you know, it's 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 horrible, that condensation. Uh, I was doing hunts in uh, Iowa where we would go hunt the morning, come back, and then go back out and hunt the evenings. And it was cold temperatures, and you'd have a big temperature swing. And what you would find is no different than your glasses fogging up. That was happening in the barrel. You say, what did you do? I emptied my gun. Every time I had that, I'd keep it in my case, and i try to keep it cool but if you put it in the cab of a truck in a case, it, all of a sudden it warms up. You get that condensation. And for me, the worst sound you can hear is when you have that big old deer out there, elk, is click. And That's you don't your have one it going chance. It's, I mean, it's not like a rifle where you can just take the shell out and put another one in. A lot of times you're not going to be able to take the time, push the load out, and start all over. No, it's, it's not. Now, I will tell you um, – different things have happened i've had people call me up and they're in the stand hey chad my gun won't go off i got this big deer right there i'm like what's happening i cocked the hammer but it won't stay well what happens is they didn't clean it properly and they've had some fouling build up and so that gun isn't shut all the way or they don't take the breech plug and have it tightened all the way it's a safety mechanism on them so i'll tell them tighten your breech plug and i'll try it and you hear it click draw back they got the hammer cocked and then boom and then all of a sudden i got him and that's always great the other thing i'll tell them sometimes is slam it shut if you if it's not if you've got that gun and it won't cock on you slam it shut and make sure that that you're good to go that way 
you know, I think that's a lot of coverage for people, especially everybody's getting ready for the summer. Get in shape. Be ready. I mean, there's nothing worse than not being in shape, and there's a like a big elk or a big mule deer, and you can't physically get to it. That That is so true. And over the years, I've guided hunters, and they're sitting there breathing heavy, and you're just like, man, we just need 20 more yards. And they look at it and you say, I don't have it. If you're, if you're going to take the time and do it and, and spend the investment, do your part. And, and you don't have to be in the best shape, but this is one thing I'll tell you too. If you're going on a guided hunt, communicate, tell the outfitter, if you're doing the guided hunt, say, listen, I'm not in the greatest shape. I'm going to do the best I can, but let him or her know so that they can prepare and put you in an area. Um, and, and the and difference in guides. It, I mean, like. <laughs> If you have someone coming, you know, you can't walk, you might save an area for him instead of not knowing. And then you have to hike to the top of a mountain and practically kill the guy. Yeah, it's 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 so true. And if you have any physical ailments, if if you have anything, don't be afraid. I, I'll just tell you, I had one guy and I know we're trying to wrap this up, but I had one guy show up in camp and he had Parkinson's disease. And I always would have a form that that was filled out and that i'd have him fill out with a health history and he didn't put it on there and he could barely walk to our tent and we were talking about it and such a wonderful guy nice guy i'm like this is information i needed to know he said why well, I, I was afraid you wouldn't book me if if you knew the shape i was in and i said no i just would have planned a little planned different. a little bit different and we ended up helping him and getting him out there and uh, making it where he could have some success. And, and if an outfitter knows that there are areas, um, you can get handicapped stickers for vehicles uh, where they can hunt out of a vehicle a little more off of county roads. And, and there's ways to help people with some of those physical limitations uh, succeed out there. So always be right up front with them and uh, just, just have fun. That's what it's all about. I think that was a lot of information, and uh, hopefully we might come back on some of these topics a little bit later, but that is episode two. Episode two of Beyond the Big Sky. Wyatt, thank you so much. I've enjoyed being on here tonight, and I can't wait for uh, the next episode.